Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 608 with Tracy Tim. Tracy has boatloads of insight for how to find extreme clarity that makes for better career fits. A fit just right, like comfy jeans, your favorite pair. That's what we're going to get to with Tracy's insights. You'll learn, one, the three types of fit that determine career satisfaction. Two, why an emphasis on job titles hurts our careers. And three, how to get clear on all of your future tough decisions in one hour flat. If you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we reference here, you can drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP608. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some cool resources such as the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary insight from Tracy in an email you can read in about three minutes, as well as access to the vault of all of these Gold Nugget emails. So you can check out that summary goodness from all 608 guests. Cool stuff. That's called the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's Tracy's story. Tracy Tim is the founder of the Nth Degree Career Academy, the proven career clarity system that helps high potential professionals discover, define, and drive careers they love. She's got a degree in behavioral psychology from Yale University and has studied design thinking with the founder of the D School, or design school, if you will, at Stanford University. Tracy left a successful but unsatisfying career in finance, traveled once around the world on semester at sea, and discovered her ideal career. For more than five years, she has applied these lessons in her career advisory work with hundreds of individuals and over 100 fast-growing companies. Tracy lives in Dallas, Texas. Big thanks to Tracy for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. And now here's Tracy. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I'm super pumped, man. It's been a long time coming. Some mutual friends between the two of us. And this is going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> well, thank you for your patience. It's all my fault that it was a long time coming. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely not. You're a busy man. <laughs> we take our time and we investigate or stalk uh, <laughs> prospective guests. And uh, well, and you came up... Uh, tremendously. So I want to hear, first of all, you have won three different national championships in two different sports. What's the story here? What are the sports and how how did you do that? 
Yeah. So it was, um, it's really funny. I grew up playing uh, softball primarily and I was a really good athlete. And my dad was an athlete as well growing up. And he really pushed me the most out of the family. And I'm an only child. So he didn't have a whole lot of other people to focus on. So I was on the best teams from when I can remember getting the best coaching from when I can remember. And so I won my first national championship as a softball player when I was 12. And then my second one when I was 13, back to back national championships on the same team. And then I did not achieve that level of success again until I was a senior in college and not in softball, but actually I had finally, I'd gotten recruited at Yale to play softball. I'd played for two years and then I uh, quit the softball team to do other things and find something that I actually really enjoyed. And I started playing club volleyball for the team on campus, but the club team, not the varsity team. And we won a national championship my senior year and like nobody saw it coming. It was the most random event of all time. Yeah. Nobody saw the Yale volleyball team coming, (laughs) (laughs) but we had so much fun. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. Well, so we're talking about your being unstoppable in in the world of career. So I'm curious, do you think there is a parallel in terms of your your sports championship unstoppability and when it comes to being unstoppable in your career? Oh, man. Yeah. You know, when I was getting recruited out of college and uh, I was finding that a lot of companies, and you might know this already, are really interested in hiring athletes because of the background of dedication and hard work that they've shown in one particular area of pursuit. So, yeah, I think that there's an element of like relentlessness and grit and persistence. And the thing that I always tell people now is like, especially if you're in a job where you're doing something like sales or you've got quotas or you you have to perform to a certain level, when you're an athlete, especially let's say baseball or softball, success is hitting the ball three times out of 10. A 300 batting average is excellent. And anything above that, we're like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? But that means that athlete goes back to the dugout seven out of 10 times. So you have to develop this just like skin on you that is, you know what, three out of 10 is a huge win. And if I can do a little bit more than that, I feel amazing about myself. You get beat down a lot. So yeah, I think that there's an element, if you really want to feel unstoppable of building that muscle over time, and certainly being an athlete would help with that. Well, yeah, I think that three out of 10, I have a spreadsheet when I evaluate all these different business initiatives. And that's just my assumption is that, yeah, there's about a 30% chance this thing will work. And a 70% chance I will torch all that time and money and it will yield uh, nothing. Oh, God. I've never thought about it like that. And so, hey, I hope your book takes off, Tracy. But uh... <laughs> Jeez Louise. We're going to be one of those three out of 10 times, this book. It's a good book. And if it isn't, you know, just write uh, three more books. There you go. <laughs> That's all. That's all, Tracy. Just do that. Well, well let's, let's dig in a little bit in terms of, uh, so Unstoppable, discover your true value, define your genius zone, and drive your dream career. That sounds awesome. I want to hit, you know, first of all, if anyone is feeling not so unstoppable, because maybe they were laid off uh, with COVID and they don't know just how, you know, choosy or big dreamy, you know, they can be right now, what would you say to them? My heart really first and foremost goes out to those people because we are in weird times and more than ever in maybe our lifetime, myself being only 32, about to turn 33, this is some of the most uncertain times that we've lived through at our age. But what I think that we all could benefit from and take a step back and get some perspective on is that, yes, this is a kind of a weird, crazy time, but to me, the pandemic is just a reminder that life 
is crazy and uncertain. And as much as we think we have control over anything going on, let alone our careers, it's largely an illusion that we, you know, are dictating exactly where our future is going at any given time, which is not a reason to give up, but it's a reason to maybe put what you're going through right now into some perspective and maybe take a little bit of the pressure off of yourself and ask yourself, okay, if life is inherently uncertain and yes, we'll get back to something that looks like a new normal, but I can never really depend on things the way that I used to, how am I going to respond? You know, how am I going to react? And in my business right now, what we're seeing is that he or she with the most clarity wins in times of major uncertainty. So when there are more people applying for the same amount of jobs, and of course, that's going to mean more people with maybe better credentials than have ever applied for those jobs. I'm hearing crazy stories like like people with PhDs applying for jobs that don't even require bachelor's degrees type of thing. The question becomes, how do I compete or how do I find my way back to some semblance of clarity and confidence and certainty? And I think the answer has to be, you have to go back to the basics and figure out what is truly valuable about you as a professional and an individual and be able to articulate that value incredibly clearly to someone who is in the position to hire you or to employ you in some way. So I get it. And it's hard. It's not easy to stare down the barrel, especially if you've had a pretty stable existence so far, or maybe you've lived just a very reactionary career so far. But I don't think that those are your people. I think your people are the proactive ones who are, are looking for, okay, how do I make the most of this time? How do I bounce back better? How do I take advantage of this white space? And it's all about clarity. Well, boy, I love that so much because that's been my own experience with, boy, when I had it really clear, results are happening. That's just like, boom. And, and I think my problem is, if you think about the strengths finder, ideation and activator are two of my top strengths. And, and so I just get a lot of ideas. And I want to do a lot of ideas like, wow. And in so doing, well, not, not a lot of things get all the way to the done finish line. And then when I'm really clear, it's like, no, no, Pete, I am completely certain that this is the critical thing that needs my attention right now, and thusly I'm gonna do it, then some cool things start happening. And and so that's my experience kind of in the you know entrepreneurial realm. And I love what you're saying is when you're job seeking, job hunting, professional career mode, it's powerful. Well, not only because I think you can, you know, dig deep and, and be super impressive and dazzle people with the research you've done because you had a narrower field of stuff you're going after, but also that you're articulating your stuff so well, it's just impressive. Like, okay. Well, that's amazing. That's exactly what we need. Or you know what? That's not what we need, but you were so clear. This other thing over here is exactly what you want. Go talk to them instead of us. Boom. You're so right. You're absolutely right. The cool thing is too, is that leaders want that amount of clarity, right? Like we've had multiple times where graduates of our program have gone to their bosses and said, I did this work and I know exactly what I want to do. And here's why I'm the best at it. And they're like, I wish every one of my people could tell me that because they're playing a guessing game. We've got this sort of, you know, team full of athletes, if you will. And we're trying to figure out what positions to put them in to get the best results as a business. And if you don't know your value, they're definitely not going to have absolute clarity into your value either. So it's, it's only mutually beneficial, you know? Well, so you break that into three components. They each start with D, discover, define, and drive. Can you give us a quick overview of 
you know, what does that mean and how do we do some of that? And, and then we'll go in a little more in depth. Yeah, let's do it. So I find that what happens is a lot of people, if you were to say like discover comes first, define comes second and drive comes third, a lot of people in the midst of uncertainty and especially career uncertainty jump to the third piece, which is drive. So they start networking and they're all over LinkedIn and they're all over job boards and they're contacting recruiters and they're applying to jobs. And what they've done is put the cart before the horse. So I like to go all the way back to the beginning. When I deal with somebody who's in any way uncertain, unclear, and unconfident in who they are as a professional, then we have to go all the way back to the beginning. We have to go all the way back to the foundation of what makes you, you. So in order to do that, we have to go through a really solid discovery process of what those individual, I'll call them puzzle pieces, of your professional value are. And then once we've done that deep dive, that discovery part, that's when we can transition into the define phase. So once we've done all the discovery, we've got all your puzzle pieces, then we can set them all out on the table, create the framework for success for you and put those puzzle pieces together properly, aka define your genius zone as a professional. And it's only when we've defined what your niche is in the world, your ideal best and highest value, let's call it your Olympic gold medal level ideal profession where you have the best chance of succeeding at the highest level, adding the most value and getting the most in return. Only then do you want to go into the drive component, which is, okay, now I'm going to actually take action on this. I'm going to network my tail off. I'm going to navigate with more certainty. So I'm going to actually test drive my ideas and really explore with interest and adventure what it is that I can do and really nourish myself along the way. So yeah, I think you have to go back to the foundational components before you can really jump into the doing and the task, which is hard for people like me, frankly, who are like high sense of urgency, go, go, go. I have activator and maximizer in my top five. So I'm all about getting on the road and getting going. And 75% done is usually completely done for me. And then I'm on to the next thing. So I, yeah, I really encourage people to go back to the drawing board and it may sound like starting over, but it, what it's really doing is honoring all of the value that both comes naturally and easily and, and from a values perspective to you, as well as that that you've learned and earned over time and making sure you don't waste any of that energy or experience. Well, that's good. And I think it makes sense in terms of, especially if it's like, uh-oh, income has disappeared. I need that stat. So the path to do that is to get a job. So where are the jobs? I'm gonna go out and get the jobs. So it's natural as sort of a, you know, panic knee-jerk reaction, but I'm right with you that for that to be the most enjoyable, lucrative, complimentary job, you're going to have to do some of that uh, discover and define stuff. So how do we go about um, doing this discovering of our true value? Yeah. So I find that, you know, when I first started my business, my story goes all the way back to the fact that I graduated with a degree in psychology that I loved, but then I had no idea how to apply that professionally. I didn't know how to translate that desire and interest in learning something into, you know, a, a role that I would do day in and day out that I wouldn't get bored with. And so I did it all wrong. You know, my first job out of college was on Wall Street and I ended up being miserable and I'm quitting that job and traveling around the world and spent every last dime I had and, you know, all this stuff. And so one day I just remember sitting down. Truth of it is I got fired from a job that was a horrible fit for me. And I was like, okay, self, like if the safe thing doesn't work, like what do you really want? Like who do you have a heart to serve and what problem do you want to solve for them? And who do you think about when you're falling asleep? And, and what is the thing that's just on your heart? And for me, it was that person that I was years before that who had all this potential that was just like bundled up inside and looking for a route out, right? Looking for 
the thing in the world that, that you could go just slay at, right? So it took me three years to develop this methodology. And I was coaching people on the side. I was working as a human capital advisor. And so over that three years, I was discovering what elevates a person from an employee. So let's just say you're an asset, you're a line item on a spreadsheet, you know, you're having to justify your paycheck every two weeks to what takes that person and elevates them from that to an asset. Because once you're an asset, you are irreplaceable. We've all worked with those people, right? Where you're like, oh my God, how could we do business without Kim? Like, does someone else in the world have Kim's job? Probably. Does someone else in the world have Kim's sort of pedigree and whatever? Definitely. But there's something about Kim and that role in that company with that team that makes her unstoppable, right? So the magic combination I've found is three things. And there are three specific ways you can fit into a company and three specific ways that a role can really be a deep fit for you. And if you have all three, then you become that asset in that area. So the first three steps are now nature and nurture. And this is exactly the formula that you need to discover what your niche is in the world or your true value as a professional. The now component is made up of your core values and your commitments to yourself and your lifestyle. And that equates to what type of culture fit you're going to be in a company. So now is kind of your culture fit. The second puzzle piece or handful of puzzle pieces, if you might say, is uh, I call it nature. And so nature is your personality, your gifts, your behaviors, your talents, and even your aptitudes, the things that just come naturally and easily to you. And that's how you become a strong behavioral fit in an environment or a company or a role. And then the last set of puzzle pieces I call nurture. And nurture is everything else. It's what your cumulative life experiences have taught you. So it's education, it's work experience, it's in our 30-day program we call your ninja skills. So that's what did you learn from travel and what did you learn from your hobbies and what did you learn from your extracurriculars and volunteering. All of that adds value as a professional person. And so you've got to write those things out and articulate what those values are. It's skills, it's knowledge, it's expertise. And if you stack those three items on top of one another, so the foundation is now, it's your core values, and then you layer on how you're naturally good in that area and you layer on top of that what you've learned or studied or practiced or experienced, then and only then do you become this sort of Olympic level athlete at your job. And then we can say, okay, if you're Usain Bolt, then we know exactly the one event on the track that's perfect for you. If you're Michael Phelps, then we know exactly the one event in the pool that's perfect for you to win the most gold medals. In this case, to achieve at the highest level, to have success, to have it sustainably, and to become an asset in a business, whether it's your own or someone else's, as opposed to a liability or just an employee. So now if the now leads to a cultural fit in the organization and the nature leads to a behavioral fit in the organization, what does the nurture kind of fit lead to? Job fit. Okay, job fit. So that's like, do you have the skills or the knowledge or the expertise to do the thing that you're required to do? And if you have all three, the cool thing is that you know how to do it. It comes to you also without having to work as hard as someone else and you deeply value it. So you're likely to work harder at it than anyone else. And that's the magic, right? It, it sort of amplifies or what's the word? Exponentiates, makes exponential your value because it's layered so deeply into who you really are in all of those different areas. You know, what I, what I think is intriguing here is that, I, I mean, you can be in roles that have zero out of three, <laughs> one out of three, two out of three, or three out of three. They kind of go all the way up and down. 
And so I, I'd imagine that the flavor of discontentment <laughs> you're experiencing, if you will, would be kind of distinct in, in terms of like, I'm in over my head and have no idea how to do the things that they are asking me to do, would mean we don't have that nurture job fit in play. Correct. As opposed to, you know, hey, man, I take the way we work it, but I mean, who cares? So in terms of like, I don't, I don't think that the world really needs us to exist in it. And it wouldn't be any worse off if it didn't. But you know, I like my coworkers and I could do the job. I can fly all over those spreadsheets like nobody's business. And you know how insidious that is, right? It's how people get stuck in these jobs that like really aren't serving them and aren't allowing them to serve is that there's just enough. You know, there's just enough good about it, or I'm just good enough, or I just got another promotion, or I just got another raise, which is telling me that I'm good at this thing and telling me that the world needs it. But at the end of the day, you're like, really? Is this what I do? The widgets? Is that what I'm going to be all about? And that's what keeps people up at night. But it's really hard to break away from that without clear evidence that that's what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Well, and, and could you maybe give us an example of, hey, here's a person, maybe it's a client. And um, and how, hey, here's some things about their now, about their nature, about their nurture that landed perfectly in a role. And it just is resonant and harmoniously beautiful. Yes. OK, so I'll give you the first one that came to mind because I ended up hiring her. This is how perfect this was. And it just goes to show you that you may not think that your dream job exists, but I guarantee you if you're specific enough and you're talking to the right people, it does. Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it's not out there. It's one of those cases of you don't know until you know, or you can't know what you don't know, right? So about a year ago, I had a woman come through our program who told me, <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories to tell because we saved her so much money. She was like, okay, Tracy, I'm 99% sure I have this 10-year plan where I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to finish my bachelor's degree because she had a degree in fine arts. She didn't have a proper sort of bachelor's. And then I'm going to go work in a school environment for a few years so I can get some you know, experience under my belt. And then I'm going to go get my guidance count counseling degree so that eventually 10 years from now, after what they had decided as a family and they'd calculated was $70,000 of college tuition and 10 years of work and or college experience, she could finally be ta -da, a high school guidance counselor to 99% sure. And I was like, what's the 1%? She's like, I don't know if I'm going to like it perfectly. I know that I have a heart to serve people in transition and transformation and, and the underserved. And I think it's this cohort of people, but I'm not 100% sure. So the more I pushed her, the more it was like, I'm like 50% sure this is right, not 99% sure. I think she just convinced herself. So I said, listen, make one percentage point of an investment with me to see if this is 100% what you want to pursue. And then if you are going to eliminate your husband's 401k and go back to school and yada, 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 and spend the next 10 years, you know that it's right for you, right? You know that you're not sort of putting good money after bad. So she goes through the program within three weeks, three weeks, right? So we had only gotten through now and nature, basically. We realized that her nature, she has an extremely low amount of formality, naturally. Like she's really great at dealing with ambiguity, which is great. But if there's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, a lot of unnecessary structure in the way of how things get done, she gets really frustrated, really overwhelmed, and it doesn't really work well for her, which may sound on the face of it like, oh, this person is unemployable, right? If you're out there thinking, well, you can't do my job like that. 
that. That may be true, but there are definitely environments where that type of personality is really useful when you're having to work with somebody through an ambiguous situation, when you're going to have to show confidence when they don't see the end goal or result and you have to handhold them through that process. It's a really valuable thing to have if you're working in an environment of uncertainty, but it's not a valuable thing to have if you work in a high school. (laughs) So um, within three weeks, we knew exactly that this was a horrible decision that she and her family had made. So we saved them $70,000. She unenrolled from school because she had already started like potentially taking classes. And by the end of uh, what was then an eight-week program, which is now a 30-day program, we realized that actually what she wanted to be was a career coach, which is, is kind of funny. The answer is not necessarily in the title. It just so happened that when we combined her now and her nature and her nurture, her niche was all about serving people through ambiguity who are going through some type of transition or transformation with deep emotionality and empathy. And what was great is that I hired her almost on the spot. It was really funny. We were in the the middle of a workshop and I was like, oh, I think I have an idea. We should talk about it later (laughs) because there were other people around. And she was my very first coach that I ever hired and trained to facilitate our programs. And the reason that I felt so confident hiring her without her ever having coached ever, she doesn't have a certification, she doesn't write any of it she consistently gets tens out of tens from our clients because she's naturally empathetic. So that goes under the nature column and communicative and thoughtful and emotional. She deals really well in ambiguity. So when our clients are like, I don't know if this is going to work. She's like, borrow my confidence. You got this and hand holds them through the process. She has a theater arts background so she can actually mirror emotionality and she knows how to show up for people in a way where they feel like they're the only person in the room and it's not fake. It's her training. You know, she's learned how to do that. And then her value set is all around serving people and allowing them to reach their fullest potential. And so there were all these really cool puzzle pieces that I would say the average maybe leader or manager wouldn't necessarily put together. But because we put her niche together, together, I was able to see how these seemingly disparate qualities from now to nature to nurture actually complemented one another in such a way that it set her up to be successful in that role without her actually ever having physically done that role before. So all I needed to do was teach her the program. And that was the last puzzle piece we needed, right? From a nurture perspective. But her facilitating the program came easily because of the theater arts background, because she had actually led and managed people previously. Again, all in different scenarios, but it was 100% transferable to working for me. And she tells me at least once a week, I'm doing my soul's work. This is my dream job. And it's just so cool that I get to see that. Okay, so so we've zeroed in. So uh, that's the discover phase there that we've done um, with those three ends. Yeah. So then how do we define the genius zone? There are a couple ways to go about this. It's kind of like personality and background and core values math, in a sense. When you go into define, the goal is to figure out how all those things come together and complement one another. So one of the ways I like to do this is think about like a triple Venn diagram in your mind's eye. So you've got now at the top, nature on the bottom left and nurture on the bottom right. And what we're looking for is the nexus in the middle. Where do those three things overlap? I find that the easiest way to do that is to just pick a value. So like pick one data point in your now piece and ask yourself, where does this value show up for me and my nature? Is it a part of my personality? Is it a part of my natural behavior set? Is it a part of my gifting? Is it a part of my talents? And then ask yourself, now what have I added 
from nurture to make myself even more dangerous in that area. So if I have a personal core value of caring for people, caring for others is like one of my top five core values. And then in my nature, I'm naturally an empathetic person who's thoughtful, who's socially oriented, who's outgoing, who's really good at persuading or whatever. And then also in my nurture, I have been in Toastmasters and practiced speaking and the power of persuasion. And in my nurture, I have gone through a transition and a transformation myself. And let's say maybe that transition is I'm recovering from uh, an addiction of some sort. And I can talk from my own experience and, and I can be really incredibly powerful and articulate in helping people through that process themselves. Well, hot damn, like now we're cooking with grease, right? Because we naturally care about it. It comes more easily than it does for most people. And you've put in some time to really gain skills and knowledge and expertise in that area. And then the goal is just to do that over and over and over again for each core value. And if you've got, let's say, seven to 10 core values, which is what most of us has at any given time, then you've got seven to 10 core components of your ideal profession. And when you start to weave that into a narrative, it gets really powerful. That's where you can start to really powerfully articulate your value and define your niche in the world sans job title, right? Like I was just on a panel earlier today and this woman was like, listen, the answer is not a job title. Just like the answer to who your you know, life partner is, is not their name. They have a name, right? Your dream job has a job title, but the reason that they're your dream person is all the qualities that make up that job. And I think we need to reframe looking for careers like that, right? If we can describe the who, what, when, where, why, and how of our dream job, that's so much more powerful than account manager or sales representative. You know what I mean? That's true. I want to be a business analyst. It's like, well, maybe you do. Because even the title, I think that's a great distinction because that title can mean wildly different things at different organizations. Exactly. And like one organization's business analyst is your nirvana and the, the other organizations, business analysts as your hell, even though you might still be fiddling with Excel <laughs> in both of them. You're absolutely right, Pete. I think you're spot on. That's, that's the difference. And that puts you back in the driver's seat. Because if you can articulate your value that way, then you're never beholden to someone else defining you. Someone else saying, oh, this is what you're talking about. Well, no, because you know, actually, it's not this, it's that. And you know why, and you've done the hard work to back up that answer. We just graduated a girl a month ago who two weeks after she graduated had competing offers for a job that she had been reticent to apply for because she didn't think she had the experience or the accreditation to actually be chosen. Not only did she, she just needed to build the confidence that she did via the experience she already had. And she had competing offers within two weeks of graduating. And now she said she's making $14,000 more a year. She's working at a dream company. She was able to leverage those offers against one another for better benefits and more flexibility. And their family is on like a whole new trajectory, all because of confidence. It's just crazy to me. It's not easy. It's hard work, but I think it's simple. I think the math is, is simple when you break it down. You've called it math. And I was intrigued when you zeroed in precisely as like, well, we have, we have seven to 10 core values at a given time. It's like, that's okay. Let's dig into that. Because there's a number of ways we could define that. You tell me, what do you mean by a core value and how do we figure out those seven to 10? 
Yeah. Okay. So I have a uh, sort of my favorite process for figuring out my core values every year. And this is how we teach it in our 30 day breakthrough program. So what I like to do is I call it the 10, 20, 30 core values brainstorm. So for 10 minutes, what you want to do is just think of all the things in your life that really move the needle for you. And some good questions to stir the brainstorming process for that are, where do I find joy? What lights me up? What makes me feel good? What gets me excited? What do I need to live a good life? Who do I need to be to be a good person in my own eyes, right? It's, it's all about your core values, not anybody else's. And if you're going to take the time to do this, please rid yourself of the expectations of other people, at least for this 10 minutes. Well, I was going to say to that point, so feel good. Well, hey, I love positivity. But I think we might also say, you know, feel bad. Like, hey, w- where do you feel uh, guilty? Because you know you have failed to live up to something that matters to you with that asterisk that matters to you and and as opposed to, oh, I feel bad because I didn't call my mom enough. And I kind of do. But it's not because of her expectations because, you know, I really respect and appreciate all she's done for me and I love her. And I want to be the person who is a great friend and son and grateful and and giving to other. Hi, mom. She listens. Oh, hi, mom. So yeah, I I guess it's not so much because, oh, my mom's disappointed or upset with me, but it's because, no, that's who I want to be. And I'm often not being that. Yep. I think that's really powerful. And then I've had, I feel some guilt associated with that. Totally. And so you can dig in, in the happy place and then also in the guilty place, so long as it's purely your guilt (laughs) and not inflicted from another party. Yeah. Or you can go to another level, which is what pisses you off. Sure. Yeah. What's the thing where you're like, why don't more people signal when they're turning right. You know, like, and what, what does that mean to me? Oh, and that can give you so much insight too, in terms of boy, like if it's a movie or a book or just something you heard from someone do or a news article is like, this is filling me with such joy and delight. Why? Or this is making me super angry. Why? And, and that could point you to a value, but, but continue. So we have the 10, 20, 30. So we're starting with some questions for 10 minutes. We ponder. Correct. And it's just get it all out and don't judge it. So it doesn't need to be one word values and they don't need to be like life affirming. Like the last time I did it, one of the the first two things that I wrote were warm kitten cuddles because I have two cats that I absolutely adore. And then the second one that I wrote was a bar where the bartenders know my name. Like I like the idea of having a home bar, of having like people know you, of being part of a neighborhood. And so those are what I wrote. I didn't overanalyze them. I didn't ask like, what's the deeper value here? I just wrote the thing, the thing that brings me joy or the thing that makes me feel good, right? So that's the first 10 minutes. Don't judge it. It's brain dump. Get it all out. The second part for 20 minutes is this is when you go and actually find a list of core values and you either print them out on a piece of paper or you look at them on a spreadsheet and you're circling every single one that resonates with you, all of them. And this is your opportunity to fill in the gaps. So often, you know, the first 10 minutes, maybe you've, you forgot something or you had a a mental block on some area of your life that actually really is important. This is where we're actually going to find inspiration from the words themselves, as opposed to try to pull the inspiration out of ourselves, if that makes sense. So 10 minutes of brain dump, 20 minutes of reading words and circling them. And these are the words that you dumped? No, this is a whole additional set of words. So it'll probably be complimentary. So the things that came naturally to you that you just dumped out of your brain might not be 
in these perfect value words. Where do I find these value word lists? I use corevalueslist.com. Yeah, it's not my own. Yeah, it's 500 words. Corevalueslist.com. Thank you. You know what? It's really funny. Enough people have asked me that, that I should make my own page. You know, tracytim.com slash corevalues, but I haven't. I'm so lazy. Or you might be able to put some flavor on it. Like if they got 500 pieces of raw material, you could do some categorizing and... You know, I don't know. I like that. I like it a lot. Well, so you now you've jumped the gun on me because step number three is categorizing. At this point, you're probably going to have 50, 100, 150 words or phrases either written down. I like to do mine in a spreadsheet because then I can just move them easily. But the goal now is to look at your words and start grouping them in groups that are similar. So if you look through all your words and you're like, okay, well, I have a lot on sort of health and wellness. It's all different words like vitality and strength and everything else having to do with health and well-being. And it sort of falls into that category. And that's what it is. That's the value. That's the underlying value of all these words or, or phrases, right? The 30 minutes that you're spending is getting your massive chunk of words down to 10 or less groups. 10 or less, because if you have more than 10, it's way too many cooks in the kitchen. If you have less than seven, I would argue that you're not specific enough. Okay. Yeah. And that's how you figure out your core values. And what I like to do is at the end of the hour, 10, 20, 30, at the end of the hour, look at your groups and give them names that resonate with you. If that's just words, then it's just words for you. If it's phrases, then give them like a really strong, powerful phrase. I've had clients do mythical characters or historical figures. So they've picked like George Washington was there sort of this whole category is, let's say, honesty or whatever. And that's really what resonates for them. Or self-sacrifice. George Washington. What a guy. Very hardworking and whatever. Yeah. But how powerful is George Washington as a value for that person because of the image that it conjures and how much more powerful is it than hardworking or honest? It's like generous. You're right. It stirs something in you because you're like, man, when I was listening to 1776, like this dude was, wow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And core values are only as powerful as you make them, right? So like it's these platitudes <laughs> that you put on the wall and you don't ever use and the words don't even resonate with you. Why are you laughing so hard? Well, now you got me thinking it's fun. You're right. Like you get to be you and expressive. And, and so now I'm thinking of myself like, as a child, what have I? Well, I guess I still play it today a couple times a year. There was this strategy game called Master of Orion, super dorky on the computer. All right. And uh, I think it launched me into strategy consulting and strategic thinking stuff. I love this. Yeah. And, and so if I were to sort of play this game, but that's also important to me is like using resources well, like being a good steward of them. And I also just enjoy it, like strategically optimizing, like, hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so if you could put that as one of my values is that I am the master of Orion, yeah. <laughs> which is which is so dorky, which is why I'm laughing. It's so dorky. But to me, it is very meaningful. It's so accurate. I know what that means. And I want to be that. And I want to be that. Exactly. I, I got to tell you, the best ones are the people who are creative. That's because I'm a creative person. I find the ones that resonate really powerfully for people. They actually go that extra mile. And it's this uber specific thing that only they understand, but it fully encompasses the value, if that makes sense, right? One of the, my absolute favorite was this girl. She was one of our workshop participants a while back. And she was like, one of my core values is welcome to my party. And she said it just like that. Welcome to my party. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, it's this one specific memory I have where I hosted this incredible party and so many people came and I was so engaged as the host that I lost my voice. And so by the end of the night, I was like, welcome to my party. <laughs> 
<laughs> and she said people made fun of her forever. But what it encapsulated for her was this sense of like providing a space for people to have a great time and how much energy she got from that, how much joy she got from that. And she loved being in charge. So it's actually a more complex value, but it was so perfect for her that it's master of Orion for you. It's fabulous. I love that. So I think that's how you do it. If I may, could I put you on the spot? Drop it on us. Your seven to 10 core values in all of their unique flavor. You want to know them? Yeah. All right. You know what? You're so lucky, Pete. I actually have these up on a spreadsheet all the time because I like to refer back to them whenever I'm making decisions. This is the cheat code for life. If you have your core values figured out ahead of time and someone says, hey, do you want so-and-so to potentially be your business partner and make an investment and take 50% of your business? Or somebody's like, hey, would you consider even coming to this event that I have to go to later tonight? Or do you need to go take care of your mom? Or, hey, do you want to spend your money on this vacation? Or do you want to spend your money over here, right? If you already have your values figured out ahead of time, it is the equivalent of a life easy button because you can look at your core values and you can go, oh, that doesn't even fit number one out. You don't have to lose sleep. You don't have to get overly emotional about it. It's amazing. So literally I pull these out all the time. Like I, I was entertaining a potential business partner earlier this year and my gut was telling me like, oh, I don't know. Like, don't you want to be Sarah Blakely and like own hundred percent of Spanx? And do you really want to give this away? And, and it was all ego driven, right? It was all sort of like in the moment, emotional reaction and response. And then when I actually wrote, I literally did this, Pete, I wrote my core values in the middle of a piece of paper. And then on the left, I put a pro column. And on the right, I put a con column. And then anything that this, if, if saying yes to this partnership produced a pro that had to do with core value number one, I had to write it on the left. But if it produced a con, I had to write it on the right. And by the time I was done, I had five to seven pros for every con on the other side. And I was like, oh, the better version of me <laughs> who, who deeply thought about what mattered ahead of time is telling this current ego-driven emotional version of me, hey, dummy, you already did the hard work. Why are you thinking about this so hard? It makes sense. Let's move forward. And it made me feel so much better about my decision. Okay, so my top 10 core values. Number one is deeply in tune, which is feeling divine, grateful, faithful, and hopeful. So it's kind of how I live my faith. I'm Catholic, so I'm, I'm pretty into that. But even beyond that, it's like, am I listening? Am I grateful? Am I thoughtful about my career decisions? Am I hopeful about the future? You know, do I feel aligned? Number two is it takes a village. This is a new one this year because Tracy Tim was rowing the business canoe alone for about five years and my arms got real tired. So it takes a village is feeling supported, loved, comforted, and connected. If I'm living those two values, then I also get to live my third value. They're all in a row, which I highly advise people do. My third value is in my element which is feeling confident, capable, masterful, and impactful. So if I'm deeply in tune and I have the right people on my team, I get to be in my element more often than not, which then if I'm in my element, I get to be number four, which is fully alive. So that's feeling excited, eager, adventurous, and awake. Being awake is like such an important word to me because I feel like I lived a good portion of my life as a zombie. And I don't want that for myself or anybody else. I can't help but tie together Catholic and fully alive with St. Irenaeus. The glory of God is man fully alive. That was one of my faves. Thank you for that. Oh my gosh. 
I'm, I feel so affirmed. Yes. Ah, love it. So if I'm fully alive, then I get to be number five, which is in the moment. And for me, in the moment means engrossed and aware and connected and kind of full of wonder. Like I tend to be the kind of anxious, fearful person more than I am the full of awe and wonder person, but I really aspire to that value. So that's why I'm, that's my fifth value. Number six was a personal sort of plea for myself at the beginning of the year. Number six is less is more. And that was feeling uncluttered and organized, synergistic and prosperous. So how could I eliminate to create more? And I told myself by the end of the year, that meant that I was going to commit to like Marie Kondoing slash, you know, home editing my world. I've made like baby steps in that direction, but it's only September. So we're going to get there. <laughs> Seven is serenity pool. Have you ever floated in one of those float chambers? You know, I've wanted to, but I haven't done it yet. Oh, it's worth it. I wouldn't do it for longer than like 45 minutes. I got a little antsy and bored by the end of it. But oh, the first 30, you're just like, this is heaven. So serenity pool for me is feeling light and peaceful and balanced and harmonious and, and do, putting enough in my life to create that on purpose. Number eight is vitality or bust, which speaks a lot to me. Um, I need to give myself good, strong boundaries. So vitality or bust is way better than feeling fit or whatever. It's like, no, you're going to do this. And so that's feeling strong, fit, energy rich and energy giving. And then the last two are keep going, which is something I have to tell myself basically every day, uh, which is feeling determined, dedicated, resilient, and resourceful. And then the last one is called living inside out, which to me means being authentic, being heard, being understood, and being genuine in that exchange with people. So, wow. I've just laid it all out there. It is bare. Oh, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Well, and it shows. I mean, you know, the vulnerability and the realness and... um like uh, straight up, that's what really matters to you. Um, there it is. It is. And I put in the work, you know, to figure that out. And, and it took about an hour, two hours to do. I do it once a year in January. My whole team does it in January. We get together and we sort of go over what's everyone's values for the year. It's part of our annual meeting so that I know what my people care about and they know what I care about. And so that if we're showing up to work, we're there to do our jobs, but it also serves our own values. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. You know, we've talked about values a few times on the show, but I don't know if we ever quite got this raw and precise. Nice. I'm glad. So kudos and thank you. Glad we went there. Thanks for asking the question. That's all you. Thank you for getting there. All right. Well, so then, well, let's see. Well, so much good stuff. Well, I guess, hey, drive. I mean, there's plenty of tips on that, but uh, go ahead and lay it on us. One or two tips, tactics that just rock when it comes to your, when you're actually doing the job hunting. I have two for you. And once you know your niche, now you just got to put your vision into action. And there are two things that I think we don't do enough of that everyone should be doing if you're in the process of discovering your ideal career or making any type of professional transition or transformation whatsoever. Number one is our maxim in the business is 10 minutes in front of a human being is worth 10 hours of online research. So if you aren't actively speaking to other human beings about your niche, about what you're pursuing, about what it looks like, the who, what, when, where, why, describing it to them, talking to them about your transition, anything. 
If you are going back to the fear of living behind the computer screen, which I know it's easy for us to do, especially us millennials, shame on us, right? We forgot how to talk to humans. You are wasting time categorically wasting time. 10 minutes in front of a human being is so much more of a dynamic engagement and interaction that could not be replaced with 10 hours of Googling and job boards and LinkedIn updates and things like that. Yeah. And, and when you spend that time, you suddenly have so much richer stuff to Google. It's like, I've never heard of that company. It sounds amazing. There you go. And then that time you spend, it just has a whole different energy to it. Like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to learn all about this thing. It sounds amazing. As opposed to, so what are some business analyst opportunities in the Chicago area? Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that is the appropriate thing to look for. But I mean, it'd be great if you had that gusto and that certainty from having tapped into someone else's brilliance. Well, yeah, because remember, this is how to be awesome at your job, not how to be mediocre at life. So if you want to be awesome, talk to p other people who can show you, okay, yeah, you're, you're almost there. But if you want all the things you want in a job, you should be looking here. This is what you're really describing. And it lives here and it exists here. And it's called this, which is not something that Google's ever going to autocorrect you for. You know, that's true. So that's number one. We call that network. We that's step one in sort of this drive part of the process. And it's everybody's least favorite part. <laughs> like nobody wants to quote unquote network because they think it's awkward and they're gonna have to talk to people they don't know. And 99 times out of 100, you have a pre-existing amazing network that you're just not tapping. Right? That They want to help, but they don't know how to help you. And they don't know what you want. And all they need you to do is go to them and tell them what you want. It's brilliant. But you have to ask. And so then the second piece of advice in drive, I call navigate, which is really just a fancy way to say test drive your options, like have an informational interview, go shadow someone, do not be the person that accepts a job or applies for a job without knowing what you're getting yourself into, like investigate what you're pursuing, inspect what you expect. And the easiest way to do that is to test drive your assumptions. And the only thing that keeps us from doing that is we're afraid to be wrong. 100% of the time. It's like, oh, well, but if I, if I just accept this, then my job search is done and I can, you know, wash my hands of this and I'll, I'll be happy. I'm sure of it. And every time I've done that, I've been ignoring a blaring siren red flag going, this thing is not in alignment with your core values, or this thing is going to make you turn your nature inside out, or this thing is going to make you feel like you're in over your head all the time. And even though you're a fast learner, it's not going to be fun for you. So test drive your options and assumptions. And I listened to another woman today talk about this and she was like, be curious, you know, have fun with it. It's not a right or wrong, live or die type of thing. It's be curious, ask the follow-up question, follow somebody around, ask about their day-to-day. -day. And the things that you'll learn from that navigation component of the job search, they will either affirm to you that this is going to be life-giving and wonderful, or they will allow you to dodge the unnecessary bullet more often than not. Beautiful. Well, well, Tracy, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. My call to action is whenever I'm uncertain about things, especially life and career things, I like to go back to logic and reason and what I know to be true. Like what, what ultimate truth is there? And my favorite anecdote about this that really spurs me to action anytime I'm afraid to try something or anytime I'm afraid to really go for something is that I met this guy on semester at sea who was a professor of psychology. And he taught me, I was just in the pits of despair. And I was so deeply unhappy with my career at that point. And I asked him, like, 
listen, do, is this just how it has to be? You know, do I just have to suck it up? This is what work is. It pays well. So like, I guess I get to have a lifestyle that's nice, that's fun, but 12 hours a day, five days a week, I'm pretty unhappy. Is that just how it has to be? Or should I go for it? Should I like actually try to find, cause even then I didn't know what it was, but I was like, should I go try to figure it out? And he was like, Tracy, it is always worth it to take your meaningful shot for the stars because the way that our brain processes regrets is that you will regret infinitely more something that you didn't do than something that you did and failed at. Those are the only two things you can regret. One's called regrets or sins of omission. That's the thing you didn't do. And then the other one's one's, uh, sins of commission. That's things that you did wrong. And the reason that you regret things you didn't do infinitely more is because there's no answer and your brain is looking for the end of the story, right? It's looking for what happened as a result of that action. But because you didn't do anything, there is no result. There are in fact, though, an infinite number of potential results, the what ifs and the would have been and the things like that, that literally haunt us and have the opportunity to haunt us, you know, our whole lives. Not because we regret it inherently more, but because our brain is looking for that solution. So, If you're out there on the fence and you're like, how do I be awesome? Live it like a regret-free life and go for the things you want. And and if nothing else convinces you to do it, let the logic of the fact that you're never going to regret failing at something more than you're going to regret wondering what would have happened. That's one of my favorite pieces of advice. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring. The first is the one that I discovered most recently, which is Einstein, which is everyone is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life feeling stupid. That was my very first job out of college. I was a really hardworking fish climbing a really big tree and uh, feeling like, why isn't this working? And I think a lot of people feel that way. And if that's you, get yourself out of that. The other is don't ask what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive because what the world needs is people who've come back to life. And that's Howard Thurman. And that's really what is one of the cornerstones of our business core values is like, let's bring people back to life. And do you have a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I think my favorite psychological phenomenon that's been studied a lot is cognitive dissonance. So it's the idea that your body and your mind cannot exist for very long at odds with one another, which means if you believe something, but you behave in a different way, then something has to give. Either you have to change your behavior or you have to change your beliefs. And I'm of the belief that a lot of people are suffering for longer than they have to, because instead of changing their behavior, whether it's in their life or their career or anywhere else in their life, really, they haven't changed their behavior. They've convinced themselves of a different set of beliefs, right? And so they're suffering longer because really deep down, they don't believe that. They've only made it logical or reasonable to explain away their behavior. So cognitive dissonance, I think, is huge. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm about to ask you for a favorite book. I'm currently reading Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me about cognitive dissonance, uh, which is amazing. I recommend it. What's a favorite book that you'd recommend? Well, Unstoppable, right? The career book for you. And please go check that out. Yeah, unstoppablecareerbook.com. I would appreciate it. But if you're not going to read my book, I would highly recommend that you read, maybe in addition, this book. It's a total throwaway coffee table book, but it was a game changer for me. It's called If Life is a Game, These Are the Rules. And it's by Dr. Cherie Carter-Scott. And she wrote it originally as a list of like eight rules for living that was published in the very first Chicken Soup for the Soul. And then Jack Canfield tracked her down and said, 
I know you wrote this. Can I attribute this to you? Because in the original printing, it was anonymous. And because of that conversation, she was inspired to write the book where she explains each of the rules in detail. So each of the rules for living comes with like four or five different virtues that when you sort of master those virtues, you've mastered that rule for living. It's powerful. It's really powerful. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? TracyTim.com. In fact, I'm going to go ahead for your audience, create a little landing page, TracyTim.com forward slash awesome is where you can go and you can get all kinds of freebies there. Specifically, if this is resonating with you, you can book time with somebody on our team to just talk about what's not working in your career and we can help you get on the right path. And that's absolutely free. So TracyTim.com forward slash awesome. All right. Tracy, this has been a treat. I, I wish you... Lots of luck in all of your unstoppable adventures. Thank you so much, Pete. I just appreciate what you're doing for the world. And I know everybody out there, I don't know how they don't adore you. You're, you're an absolute treat. So thank you so much for having me. I just love what Tracy had to say about the power of that clarity. And there's a wild difference between being pretty clear and being completely clear. And I also enjoyed checking out that corevalueslist.com. What a list. Alphabetical order, searchable. I mean, boy, you just look at the A's. We've got above and beyond, acceptance, accessibility, accomplishment, accountability, accuracy. That's just the A, B, and A, C, all the way down to awareness, A-W. And then you've got about 580, I believe, 586 total core values there, which really gets you thinking in terms of seeing like the resonance and juice and um, just how much you're vibing uh, with them can be pretty informative. I, I love that one hour process Tracy laid out there. So great stuff. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP608. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe. We've got Devorah Zach back on the show. She's talking about single tasking, multitasking, what you can do, what you can't do, and the optimal way to get a lot of great stuff done. Hope to catch you there. And peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.